welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the Gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the City of Lagos and beyond renewed by the Gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Amen. Good morning, church. Today's reading is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verses 1 to 9, and chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. At the end of the reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying thanks be to God. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, If we haven't met, my name is Emmanuel. Um, I was starting a new series today called Made for More. Made for More. Um, And I don't know what came to your mind as you... Um, heard that or saw the poster, you know, as I was thinking about that, I, I thought it to be about my own personal sort of history with ambition or thinking about being made for more. Um, so in nursery school, um, nursery school, yes, that's where it starts. I can't remember what it was exactly I won a prize for, but I won a prize on prize giving day. It was nursery two. Um, and I came out, I jumped out, you know, very, they called my name on the assembly. So that's how my school used to do back then. They would have an assembly and then they would give prizes to people. And then, you know, they called out my name and I jumped out and I like went this way, literally to the front and collected my prize. And my mom's friend who was there, who with her own kids also came for her own kids, she called me after and said, Emmanuel, why were you walking like that? That's pride. That's wrong. You should give all the glory to God. There's nothing you have that God has not given you. And so she talked to me about being really humble. And so I moved from that very, I want to get all the prizes to like, ah, I'm humble and I depend on God. And so a while after that, I went to another friend's house. Um, friend's moms, they, they are wonderful. Um, so I went to another friend's house and the guy was saying something about something we should be praying for and trusting God for. I was like, no, 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 no. Who are you to ask God for something? Who are you to say this is what you want? You, you just say, God, I submit to your will. And I accept anything that you give me. And his mom was there listening. And she said, no. 
actually, you can ask God for things. You can believe God for great things, right? And if God doesn't give you, that's fine. But you have to be in a place of faith and trust. On the one hand, it is, no, 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 don't aim for too much. On the other hand, it is, aim for a lot. And if it doesn't happen well, trust God with the results. And in many ways, as I thought about that, it's not just my own life. It's all of us, right? Particularly in Christian circles, we don't exactly know what to make of ambition. Um, isn't that what people who are non-Christians actually are meant to have? And the rest of us who are Christians, we are meant to be the people who are content. People who, because we have Christ, you know, like, we don't need anything else in the world. Jesus is enough for us. Isn't that the song we sing? We don't quite know how to relate to ambition. And so I checked the dictionary as I was praying for this on my phone. And the very first definition I saw, Merriam-Webster dictionary, was, what is ambition? It is an ardent desire for rank, fame, or power. An ardent desire for rank, fame, or power. And maybe that's what even came to your mind as you thought about this series, as you saw this series. It was like, why are we even talking about ambition? Isn't this something for non-Christians? And so Christians, it's those of us who, you know, really were into that sort of thing. We sort of coined a new word for it. Um, I remember, again, the word that was flowing around when I was growing up was, ambition is bad, but vision is good. Because vision is like you are seeing into the future, like you are projecting. There's this thing, you know, that is about other people. It's not about yourself. But actually, that's not biblical. In fact, I like the way a Christian writer named Donald Whitney puts it. He says, to clarify your spirituality. One way to clarify your spirituality is to clarify your ambition. One way to clarify your spirituality is to clarify your ambition. In other words, there is nothing like a Christian who, does, who shouldn't have ambition. God has hardwired us, and, and this is what ambition really is. Ambition is a desire for glory, a quest for more. God has hardwired us as human beings to be people who aim for glory. The problem isn't that we aim for glory. The problem is what kind of glory are you aiming for? And you see that in Romans chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Paul the Apostle is talking about two kinds of people. Um, people who believe in Jesus, who are saved by the righteousness of Christ, and people who don't. And he says, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory. So there is a category for Christians who are seeking glory, who are seeking honor, who are seeking immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil. So these people are also seeking a certain kind of glory. But the glory they are seeking is not the glory that comes from God. It's the glory that glorifies self. The problem isn't that we seek glory. The problem is what kind of glory are we seeking? What kind of glory are you looking for? One of my first meetings with Pastor Femi when um, I, I came to the church and I started working here. He said this thing that at the time it blew my mind. He said he was surprised at the sheer lack of ambition among ministry people. That is, those of us who work in vocational ministry. And at the time it was like, hmm, should, should, should we be ambitious as Christians? Is, that, is there a category for that? But as I've looked more and more into the Bible, the truth is that the Bible is filled with ambition. In fact, our salvation is many things, but one of the things you can describe it as, it is an ambitious project by God. Think about it. You make a world, right? You don't, you, you, you don't, you haven't formed people in it. You haven't put anything yet in it, but you have determined that this is the direction that it's meant to go. And people come and they try to sabotage that plan, but all along the way, God is guiding the course of history, guiding the course of everything that is happening so that it gets to the destined end that he desires for it to get to. Our salvation, our God is an ambitious God who has designed things to go a certain way, to be made for more than just the ordinary so that his purposes and his dreams and plans can come to pass. And so, in fact, one of the many images that the Bible uses to describe God's salvation is in Isaiah 63, verse 1 to 5. We won't read everything because of time. If you get home, you can read it. 
But it, it basically paints God like a warrior who, is, who has gone to the battlefront and he has to achieve something. It says in verse 1, Who is this coming from Edom, from Bozrah, with his garments stained with crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I proclaiming victory, mighty to save. God, how are you going to bring this to pass? Jump to verse 5. He says, I looked around. There was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm achieved salvation for me. He doesn't talk about God just applying salvation or Jesus Christ just dying. He talks about God achieving salvation. In other words, this was a project God set in motion and he brought it to pass. God has hardwired the story of the Bible as an ambitious project. But it's not just God. It's us as well. When God made humans in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1, 27 to 28, after he's made all the things he's made on the different days, of everything God could have said, he makes them in his own image. And then in verse 28, he says, Be fruitful and multiply. Increase in number. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing, every living thing that moves on the ground. God wired us as his people to bring to, to bear all the things that he has deposited in the earth, that he has deposited in creation that don't ordinarily look like it on the surface of it, but that by our work, by the things that we do, by being his image bearers and representatives on the earth, we can cause those things to come forth. Friends, we have been made for more. We have been made for more than what it looks like. We have been made for more than what is going on around us. We have been made for more than what we think and project. God has hardwired us to be people who are on a quest for glory. And our hope is that at the end of this series, that we will discover this dream that God has put on each and every one of our hearts. And that we will pursue it with all the power that the Holy Spirit has gifted us with in Jesus' name. And so today's sermon is called made to dream, made to dream. And there are four things I want us to see very briefly from this passage. The first thing is where dreams are born. Can we say that together? Where dreams are born. And so, Digifei read to us from Genesis chapter 11. And if you're not familiar with the story of the Bible, what has been happening so far is that God made humans. I just said that in Genesis chapter 1. But very quickly, things go sour. Um, Adam and Eve rebel against God and they go on their own way and fulfill their own plan. And so God has to send people out of the garden, send them out of the garden, and people begin to live outside of the garden. And everything really goes downhill from here. So bad that God is like, we have to press a reboot button on this thing. And so God sends a flood. Noah and his family are saved in an ark. And then after a number of days, God brings them, preserves them, and they start procreating again, and human beings start coming out again. In fact, in Genesis chapter 10, just the, the chapter before the one that we read, that entire passage is just a table of people who have been born. This person gave birth to this, this person gave birth to this, this person gave birth to this. And then we come to verse 11. And so all along, the writer wants us to see that something actually is going on when we read chapter 11 verse 1, that the whole earth, had one language and the same words. Now, if you haven't listened to what I just said, think about it for a minute. There was a time when there was water all over the earth. Basically, no house. Houses were wiped away. And then people have to come out, and then they have to start building those things again. But they are building they are probably building more, um, giving birth to more people than their houses to take care of. In fact, that's the sense we get in Genesis chapter 10, that the whole of Genesis chapter 10, there are about 70 nations mentioned there, that there were a number of people. And so this was the time of great challenge. The whole earth had the same language and the same words. And so these people felt like they had to move away from where they were so that there could be more opportunity for them to actually find security and to find protection. It was a time of great challenge. There were probably no houses. There were probably um, 
no spaces for them to live. There are probably no spaces for them to actually find the full, the full expression of themselves as human beings. And yet, rather than decide that this challenge actually is going to make us just fold our arms and just keep looking around, they saw that this was a time actually that we need to build something. It was a time when there was challenge, but for those people, it wasn't just a challenge, it was a time for opportunity. That's the first thing. It was a time for opportunity. But the second thing actually comes from that as well. That because there were a lot of people, everyone had the same language and the same words. In the ESV, that's what he says. When, when he talks about common speech, it's the exact same language and the exact same words. The idea here is that we talk about Nigeria, that there are a lot of tribes in Nigeria. Um, I don't know how many, 250 plus. And the language are probably twice as many languages. And so on one hand, part of the reasons why we have divisions in societies like Nigeria, where there are a lot of people, is that there are, there are too many ethnic groups. And then even within ethnic groups, like you have with Yorubas, there are the senior ones and then there are the junior ones, right? <laughs> like people from my side in Kogi State, where the senior ones. And then people from like Oyo, Ijebu, <coughs> and you know, all those other places, they are, you know, the lesser ones, right? But imagine if actually that didn't exist. And we have some, some countries like that in the world today, like Denmark and some of those other places, where virtually everybody speaks the exact same words. In other words, they all understood each other. This was a time when people all understood each other. And it wasn't just, oh, like they understood each other. This was actually a powerful resource that they had. Their unity, symbolized in the oneness of language and the oneness of words, was actually a resource that they then employed to be able to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. Do you realize that they could have said, oh, wow, we are so pressed. There are a lot of people. There is no space for us to live. Ah, what are we going to do? Let's just, let's just keep watching. But no, they don't do that. They say, we see this time when there is a lot of challenge, actually not just as a challenge, but as an opportunity for us to use this great resource that we have to accomplish something. Friends, what you see and how you see what you see determines what you can accomplish. Too many of us are so conscious of the things that exist around us, the challenges that exist around us, that it actually blinds us from seeing that those challenges are actually opportunities that can allow us to bring to bed the dreams that God has given to us. And you see that. You see that in this passage. And you see that in life, that actually dreams are born at the intersection of opportunities and resources that are used to meet those needs. Many of us know this, that in the 80s, actually, I mean, if you've watched Hidden Figures, the, the movie about um, the, the first African-American ladies who started working, I think, was in NASA, that the computers at the time were actually really big. The computers were in a room, like, literally, it was a room like this, and not many people could afford it. Not many people could own it. Not many people even knew how to operate it. And so eventually, yes, computers became smaller, but the language was just so complex. The language was a language called MS-DOS that you basically had to learn. It was like the, the steps before coding that people are doing today that you needed to learn to be able to operate a computer. Imagine if, as you are now, you needed to learn coding to be able to operate your smartphone. That was how hard things were in that sense. And so many people just felt like, oh, well, there's this computer thing. Well, um, too bad. We can't, we can't do a lot with this thing. But there was this guy called Bill Gates who said, I see that there is something. Yes, this is, it looks like a challenge to people around, but actually it is an opportunity. What if we develop something that makes it easy for people to, instead of learning a particular language, you can just make them move something around a mouse that you can click different buttons and they can operate that system easily. And so Windows was born. And Windows was born because somebody decided that this thing people are seeing as a challenge, 
is actually an opportunity that I can use to create something. Are you getting me? But forget Bill Gates, he's too far away. Many of us know that traffic is a challenge in Lagos. Traffic is a problem. Like, you can be in traffic for hours, and if you didn't wake up on time or you didn't grab a food, grab food to eat, you'll be hungry. And so some people decided that actually, why do we have to build a big restaurant in a particular side of town where we have to pay for rent, pay for power, pay people that are working? Why can't I just carry this thing on my head and provide to people around? And they decided that this thing that people see as a challenge that limits their ability to be able to get good food or get any kind of food, whether good or not, this thing is going to be an opportunity, A, to meet people's needs, but B, also to make money as well. And so you have gala sellers. You have people who sell pizza. I've seen that. Yes. You have people who sell puppies. The one that shocked me was Christmas tree. I'm like, wait, how am I going to test that this thing is actually working? We don't know. But they saw those things as opportunities rather than challenges. Friends, what you see determines what you can accomplish. Many of us are so tuned into what is wrong with Nigeria and the fact that fuel prices have gone up and the fact that we're living in an inflationary economy and the fact that things aren't as easy for people that all we can see are just challenges. But friends, our challenges are actually the seedbed that fertilize the birth of our dreams. Don't just look at the challenges that exist around you. Look at how those challenges can become things that are opportunities for your dreams to come to pass. What you see determines what you can accomplish. This thing is so true that in Numbers 13, when the people of God are about to enter into the promised land, 12 people are sent on an espionage mission to go and scout the land, to go and see the things that that exist in the land. And they go there, they actually see that the land is really good and they bring back samples from the land. They bring back produce. They bring back food. They bring back different things. See, the food is really good. The land is really great. It's a really great place. But the problem is that there are many giants there. Ten people said that. Ten people said there are many giants there. And in fact, they are so big that we can't enter that land. We can't take over that land. Two people said, no, no. The giants are so big. It's true. But we serve an even bigger God. And the problem is that when we notice that our challenges are so big, what we are inevitably saying is that the God we serve is smaller than the challenges that we have. Many of us complain so many times about the things we don't have. The people, the people that are wearing there for us, the things that we couldn't accomplish, the things that we tried and failed. But the truth is that, like my father always says, and I believe that this is so true, God never leaves anybody at any point where you don't have anything at all. God is too faithful to leave you without even one thing in your life. And you see that in the Bible as well. In Exodus chapter 4, when God wants Moses to deliver the people of Israel, he's calling him and says, go and deliver my people. God says, Moses has complained in the whole of chapter 3, God, I can't go. Like, seriously, God, I can't go. I don't have a PhD in, in leadership I don't have experience. I don't know anything. And worst of all, God, I stutter. I wonder how long it took him to say all those things that he said. <laughs> and God doesn't, God doesn't go and meet Moses and say, eh, Moses, let me tell you. No, no. God says basically to Moses in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, what is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? God didn't need to bring something out from somewhere. God was ready to work with Moses just as he was. What is that in your hand? In 2 Kings chapter 4, when there was a woman there who, um, she was married to a pastor. And this pastor, he was a godly man, but he wasn't wise. So he owed the people a lot of money. And so just in case you are here, godliness does not always translate to financial prudence. Amen? Amen. Just saying that. I hope that helps someone. Second Kings chapter 4, this woman had a problem. And they, 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 it was, it was, they were going to actually put her children into slavery or even a kind of 
working for the money that her father owned. And so she comes to meet Elisha, the man of God, the senior pastor, Daddy Jew, and she says, help us, Daddy. Daddy, save us. And of everything Elisha could have said, Elisha says, tell me, what do you have in your house? And many of us start the way this woman started. And maybe some of us even stop there. You say, ah, daddy, you don't have anything. Nothing. Daddy, in fact, yesterday, the last money I had was what I used to come to church. I don't have anything again. But if you look around well, there's always something. And this woman realizes, and daddy, I don't have anything. I don't have anything at all except a small jar of olive oil. And the question, friends, is that what is that except that you have right now? What is that thing that you feel is really nothing? God, I can't, you can't do anything with this. I can't accomplish anything with this. And, and God is saying to you, what is that in your hand? And you say, God is nothing. I don't have anything. I don't have the, the, the qualifications. God, I don't have the connections. God, I don't have the family. God, I don't know the book. Lord, I don't know. the. I haven't gotten the professional qualifications. God, I have nothing except. And God is saying, yes, that's fine. That's all I need. All I need is your faith and accept. And if you're here this morning, you are wondering, you have dreams that God has placed in your heart, and you're like, how can these things come to pass? Don't worry. All you need to know is that there is a God who works with nothing plus except. There is a God who can use that little thing that you have to bring about the birth of the dreams that he has put in your heart. And honestly, if this is where the story, um, this point stops, that would already be great because... If you have something and you have eyes to see that challenges can be seasons of opportunity, God can work with that. But that's not all that is here. Because you see in verse 2, so they decide they're going to build this project. But what did they do? They bake bricks. Sorry, go to verse 3. They decide to make bricks. And they bake, they use bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Let me explain again. Now, in the Middle East, at that particular time, what they had in, in many places was clay, right? The, the sort of choice material to build with would have been stone because stone would, first, is easier, is natural, so it's more durable. But you don't have to go through the rigorous process of mixing clay and working with clay burning it in the sun, and then making bricks. You don't have to use the, um, the, the clay that you have and just turn it into, um, into mortar. But these people decide that actually, yes, we don't have stone. Yes, we don't have mortar. We don't have what the ideal equipment that we should be using. But they decide, eh, let's start with what we have. We are going to use brick. We don't have stone. We don't have the money for stone. We can't afford it, but we're going to use the brick that we have. And we're going to use the tar that we have. Those things that God has given to us, that is what we are going to use. And maybe there's some of you here. The dreams that you have, you are waiting for the ideal time to actually begin working on those dreams. You are waiting for when everything actually checks, when you've gotten everything in place, when everything has fully, 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 fully worked out in detail, then you can then begin. But what we see here is that these people decide to begin with what they have to take them to where they want to be. But they don't just build bricks or make bricks. Look at that word. They bake them how? Thoroughly. Let's say that together. They bake them how? Here we see a commitment to excellence. That we're not just going to do something shoddy. We're not just going to do something because, oh, well, yes, it's acceptable. No, it was, we're going to do the best thing that we possibly can do with what we have right now. I like the way someone said it. Dave Ramsey is an American OAP that gives financial advice. And he says, work is doing it. Discipline is doing it every day. Can, can everybody see this? Work is doing it. Discipline is doing it every day. And diligence, diligence is doing it well every day. Work is doing it. Discipline is doing it every day. Diligence is doing it well every day. And I would add, excellence is realizing that the only thing you can do is to do it well every day. 
And so what is that thing that God has given you, friends? What is that thing that God has committed into your hands? What is that dream that you have in your heart? What is that sort of season that you are right now? It may not be the most ideal. It may not be the place that you want to be. It may not be the place that you, you have all the materials that you need. Thank you. You can take this down. But you can begin where you are right now and decide that the only option for you is to work excellently. I like the way the Apostle Paul says, he says, um, 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 no, not even the Apostle Paul, but whatever your hands find to do, do it well with all your might. We serve a God, friends, who is not just into half-hearted measures, who is not just into, oh, let's just do things passively. We serve a God who actually excellence is written all over him. And so, yes, God always wanted human beings to be this full size. But actually, he doesn't start with us at the full size except Adam and Eve. He starts with us as babies, made small and growing, growing, growing eventually to show us that actually you don't need to be where you want to be eventually. You can start with what you have right now. All of creation is God's proverb to us and God's parable to us saying that what I have given to you right now, the only thing that you can do with it is to work excellently with all your heart and mind. Friends, dreams are born at the intersection of opportunities and resources that have been timed to meet it. But dreams will only be sustained when we realize that the only option for us as image bearers of God, made in the image of God, who are supposed to fill the earth and subdue it, is actually to work with only excellence, all the excellence that we can muster, because our God is a great and grand God. Amen. And so how can we cultivate a dream? How can we cultivate a disposition to dreaming? Maybe some of you have something that God has put in your heart. Maybe some of you are in that season where you are sort of drifting. Just three quick things. Excavate, relate, evaluate. Excavate, relate, evaluate. Excavate. By excavate, I mean that you have to go deep within, under God. Okay, so you have to sort of think about what, what are my giftings? What has God gifted me with? What are the opportunities I see around me? What are those um, 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 things that people always commend me for? And how can I bring to pass those things that have been deposited in me? The problem many times is that many of us feel like there is a division between the spiritual and the physical. That's so like my career is, well, how I sort of make ends meet. But then my spiritual life is how I become a really strong Christian. But actually, if you look at the Bible very well, those two things are intertwined. God has designed that for many of us, actually, our career will be the means by which we bring him glory. You may never step on a stage, you may never work in a church, you may never be part of a, of a church leadership or anything, but God has gifted you with things that he has ensured that that is how you actually bring and radiate his glory to the world. And so go deep within, that's what I mean by excavate, under God, spend time in prayer, ask people who know you, hey, what do you think I am gifted with? What do you think I can do well? And how can I do those things well? So that's excavate. But then is relate. Relate, that's the second thing, relate. The problem many times is that a lot of us actually were trying to build our dreams in isolation. But what you see here in this passage is that these people are working together. They're actually sharpening each other. And as they are relating with each other, they are making the building project easy. When God gives us a dream, God never gives you a dream that you can build alone by yourself. God always gives you a dream that you need other people around you to help you build. Why? Many reasons, but one reason is that our God himself is a community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together to accomplish the plan of salvation, to create the world, to bring things to pass. And so when God gives us a dream, God is saying invariably that I have given you this thing, but the only way you can see this thing materialize and come to fruition is actually by working with the people that are placed around you. And so find people who have gone ahead of you in the space that you want to operate in. One of the things I do, and many of us, some of us do it as well, is that I actually like to be a pest to people who have gone ahead of me. Pastor Femi talks about how I bugged him a lot when I came to this church because I knew that God had gifted me with a dream to actually serve a ministry. And the only way was not by watching, you know, people in the abroad. There was somebody right in front of me who was doing the thing I wanted to do and I wanted to learn from and I would bug him and pester him. Be a good pest. 
Be the kind of person that you see somebody who is working in HR. You see a lady who is in that sort of space that you want to be a pest. Please, my where can I come to your house? Please, what can I do for your kids? Just make sure that you are in that space where there is no other or no other option but for that person to actually bless you and impart that thing that God has blessed them with. Excavate, relate, but evaluate. And so you have to periodically be asking yourself, okay, maybe some of us are a little bit advanced in the thing that we want to accomplish. You have to periodically be asking yourself, is this the best that I can be doing now? And are there other things that I can be doing as I sort of journey along? The problem is that many people, I was talking to Dick Femi yesterday, and I, I just, like, he just said it so much more clearer than I could say it, and so I'm just going to steal his line. He said, complacency, contentment is not the same thing as complacency. We should always be content. When God gives us a certain thing, you don't have a G-Wagon right now. You would like to have a G-Wagon eventually, but maybe what you are driving now is a Subaru. Thank God for the Subaru. Drive it with all the Subaru. Okay, Subaru. I mean, I'm from Ilori, Subaru, please. We have to, G-Wagon, you can pronounce G-Wagon with it. But it's Subaru, Subaru, Subaru. <laughs> you don't have what you eventually want to have. Thank God for what you have right now. But don't settle. That's the problem. Don't settle. Many of us, God has used us in the past. And, and, and sort of how you begin to know this is that God has used us in the past. But if you're honest with yourself, your influence is actually waning. There is so much that you can be doing. Many of us have businesses. We, our businesses have grown, thank God for them, but we are still operating on the year 2005 technology when we are in 2023. <laughs> Evaluate where I am right now relative to what God has put in my hands and how can I be better? And so those three things, excavate, relate, and evaluate. Amen. But why do dreams fail? Why do dreams fail? And so, as you're reading the story, we see actually something that you may not have noticed. It says in verse 2, as people moved eastward. Now, unless you're familiar with the story of the Bible, you actually don't know what the writer is trying to communicate. Many times, particularly in the, in the narrative passages of the Old Testament, they just drop a subtle hint there that is meant to tell you something deeper is going on here. And so what does it mean that people were moving eastward? Because in one sense, you can just say they were moving, but why do you have to say they were moving eastward? The problem is that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, when the, hum the first humans had sinned against God, God sends them out of the garden, and he places an angel where? At the east of the garden, blocking the way back into the garden, back into the tree of life. And so the east of the garden was meant to communicate that these people were away from the presence of God. But you see that again in chapter 4, when Cain actually kills his brother and God expels him. He goes to a place, he settles down, and what happens? The Bible tells us that he settles in the land of Nord, east of Eden. And so when we come to Genesis chapter 11, and we see in verse 2 that these people are moving eastward, the, 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 the writer wants us to know that, no, this isn't good. Yes, they are making progress, but they are only making progress away from God. But you see, friends, and particularly if you're here, you're not a Christian. When we don't find our identity and rest in God, we always find it somewhere else. And so you see the people, they moved away eastward, but what happened? They found a plane in China and settled there. That's tragic. It's tragic because in Genesis chapter 1, what had God said? He says, Fill the earth and subdue it. And what we see is that these people think they're actually making progress, but the progress they're only making is actually not even scratching the surface of all that God intends for them. They are certain. And the truth, friends, is that our dreams fail because we move away from the presence of God and God's ideal like he has designed for us. And some of you may be here, you may say, Emmanuel, you don't know how much I made last year. Well, the truth, friends, is that if your identity and the dream that God has given you, if it's not found in the extension of God's purposes and God's plans, actually, it is not a success, it's a failure. 
Why are you doing the things that you are doing? Why are you parenting? If the purpose of your parenting is actually only so that you can raise good kids who also turn out to be good people, who actually have good education, who get good jobs, and they can take care of you in old age, you're settling in the plane of Shiloh. If the entire purpose of your career is so that you can rack up all these awards and so that people can know you actually, it sounds great. We are settling in the plane of Shiloh. And we see these people here, they are moving eastward. They are moving with great speed. They are building this thing. But actually, it's all doomed to fail because it's out of God's purpose and out of God's plan. But the other thing we see here, friends, is that they do it because they want to make a name for themselves. And so in verse 4, it says, let us build this city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Friends, and the truth is that many times, actually, the reason why we dream the dreams we are dreaming is because we are trying to make a name for ourselves. We're looking for identity. Our identity is marked by the things we have accomplished. Our identity is marked by the things, the awards we have racked about. Our identity is marked by what people say around us. And we're running and doing all of these things. And maybe like these people, they don't mention God. And so you, 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 you are not consciously saying, no, I want to disobey God. I want to do what God doesn't want. But somewhere at the back of your mind, you, it is because actually God isn't your security. And this thing that you are building, this tower of Babel, is actually the thing that you are finding security in. And making a name for themselves. You see, friends, actually that is pride. Pride can be revealed in two ways. Pride can be revealed in achievements and in striving. And you see that here. But pride can also be revealed in underachievement and sloth. We'll consider that next week. But let's just stay here a little bit. They want to make a name for themselves. And the reason they are doing it is actually they think that this whole extension of the, of the garden, extension of gods of the earth and all of those things is actually about them. You see, James says in James chapter 4, verse 13 to 16, he says, some of you say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Let's jump to verse 16. It says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. Friends, when we think so much of ourselves, when we think that the whole point of our career, the whole point of our parenting, the whole point of our friendship, the whole point of all these things that we're trying to accomplish is only about us. And maybe you're not even saying categorically, I don't want to have anything to do with God. Maybe you're not like that, but actually when you think that way, you're thinking outside of God, actually, you're revealing that there's something deeply wrong with you at heart. And so how does God respond? In verses 6 to 7, we see that God responds in judgment. And we see that God actually comes down and he destroys this this plan that these people have. Can we have that verse 6 to 7 up? And God says, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come. Let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And you read that and you're like, hmm, is this not the case of the jealous stepwife or the second wife? That our husband is only sleeping with the first wife and so you want to sabotage that plan so you go and pour something in her water so that she's scratching her body. Evidently, I have watched too many Nigerian movies. (laughs) feel like, God, this is so petty. They are building this thing. Why do you have to scatter this thing? Why? But actually, the, the clue, again, the writer wants us to see, is not that God was being petty. 
In fact, in verse 5, it says, God says, let us go down and see this thing that these people have built. In verse 7, it says again, come, let us go down and see. In other words, the idea is that this project that these people think is so significant, they are building to the heavens, God still has to take a few steps down to see it. And sometimes we think of God as we see his judgment in the Bible and you're like, ha, ah, God is so insecure. Why is he doing this? But actually, the Bible shows us that not even anything can come close. Our greatest, grandest plans cannot even scratch the surface of his power and his infinite grace. And so God responds in judgment here. But the truth is that, friends, God responds in judgment because God is showing them grace. God knows that if this project were to succeed, he says that nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them. God knows that if this project were to succeed, actually it is only one step away from their destruction and their death. And many of us, can I just, some of you are hearing this very clearly right now. You know that moment. Some of you had dreams and goals in your heart that you wanted to accomplish. And you knew that those things were sabotaged. And can I just tell you right now that that was God's grace and mercy to you. Thank God for failed dreams. Thank God for failed goals. Because some of us know that if we had succeeded in the things that we had planned, we would not be anywhere near where we are now. God's grace is sometimes revealed in his judgment. And God says that actually for these people, if I'm going to allow them to succeed, actually I'm going to allow them to succeed for their own destruction. And so that they don't destroy themselves ultimately, I'm going to stop their plans from succeeding. And he scatters them across. Friends, we see judgment and grace here. Judgment for people who deserve a grace where they do not. But we see also that 2,000 years later, when Jesus dies on the cross, we see his judge, God's judgment and grace as well. Judgment for the one who does not deserve it and grace for the people who don't deserve it. Well, like the people building the Tower of Babel, people who were running our own course and doing our own things and going down our own path. And instead of God to visit his judgment on us and separate us from himself eternally, God decides that he's going to visit that judgment on his son, Jesus Christ, so that those of us who are building our own life dreams and goals and projects away from God, eastward, out of the Garden of Eden, can now be people who are brought close to God and we cannot receive the grace of companionship and, and his presence with us. Our dreams ultimately fail when we step outside of God into the East and when we think that it's only about us and our name rather than God's name. But friends, if you know the story of the Bible, you know that there is always grace for people who do not deserve it. And we see that in this story. That the story doesn't end here. We see that God can bring about dreams to be reborn. And so my third point, where dreams are reborn. Something happens in this passage that you may not have noticed because we didn't read the entire thing. Before we get to chapter 11, the entirety of chapter 10 is all about a genealogy. People being born and people dying. When the story ends in, chapter, in verse 9 and it continues on, it's all so about a genealogy, people being born and people dying. And this is a little bit weird. Except that in the book of Genesis, when genealogies are inserted between narratives to tell us that God is looking for someone, that God hasn't given up on his people, that God hasn't given up on his purposes, that God is looking for someone to walk through. And so we get into chapter 12, verse 1, and we see that God calls out to a man called Abraham or as his name was at the time, Abraham. And God calls him and says these exact words to him, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. And we see already here, friends, that something is going on here because we see the grace of God. There are at least three reasons why Abraham does not deserve this call. One, Abraham wasn't looking for God. The, the text doesn't tell us Abraham was looking for God. The text doesn't tell us Abraham was righteous and seeking God. 
at least we know that about Noah, the person who built the ark, that he was a man who was seeking God and he was a man who was doing the right thing. But Abraham actually doesn't. So if I'm God and I'm thinking, how can I continue to see my own purposes accomplished in the earth? I'm not thinking of Abraham. And yet God goes to Abraham. The second reason is that perhaps Abraham most likely at this time of his life was either a direct participant in the project or he was a child of one of the people in the project. He was somebody who was living in that area. He was somebody who was living around that entire thing. So he knew about it. And so God could have easily said, I'm doing away with all these people. I'm doing away with all these things and I don't want to have anything to do with them. But yet God still comes to Abraham. But the last thing, is that, okay, God, I get. Yes, Abraham wasn't looking for you. You are great. Abraham wasn't, was probably among the people who did the project. Okay, you have having mercy on him. But God, at least choose somebody who is young and fresh and hippie. Choose somebody who actually meets the bill so that when we put up the poster and we say, this is the candidate um, of the person that God has chosen to actually extend his purposes and his ambitious projects in the world, you'll say, yes, he actually looks the part. He has a nice smile. He doesn't have anything, but God doesn't go with that plan. God chooses somebody who is 75 years old. All of that to communicate to us that actually we serve a God who delights that even when our dreams are broken, even when our dreams are shattered, even when humanly we do not qualify, even when humanly we have built our lives outside of him, even when humanly we haven't considered him, even when humanly we have sabotaged his purposes and plans for us by our own hands, that same God can come to us in grace and call us to, be, to himself. That same God can come in grace and call us to himself. But how does Abraham respond? Abraham doesn't just respond like, I'll check it out. The text tells us that Abraham responds in willingness and in obedience. And it says, he went out. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know the dreams that God had for him. He didn't know the thing that God was going to make of him. He didn't know the full details yet. But verse 4 says, he went anyway. And you see, maybe you are here, your dreams are broken and shut. And you feel like, maybe you are even late in age, it seems. And it seems like, my good years are behind me. Friends, God is telling you that he is a gracious God who causes dreams to be reborn. At least, if you are not 75, this passage is telling us there is still hope. And even if you are more than 75, guess what? We serve a God who turns back time. And so the point of this passage is to actually show us that dreams are reborn where we come when, when a dream meets a gracious God and a humble person. God can still cause those dreams to be reborn today. And so God says to Abraham, he says, I will make your name great. I will make your name great. In other words, Babel wanted to build a thing. God was after making Abraham. Babel wanted to make a name for themselves. God was after making Abraham great. Babel wanted to damn God's blessing and, and just keep it with themselves. God was about making Abraham a channel to the ends of the earth so that through him, people would come to know this great God and they would have the blessing, his presence. Friends, God can do that same thing with you and I. God can turn around the brokenness of our dreams, the brokenness of the things that we are aspiring to and, and the dreams that seems like they either have been lost or they can never be fulfilled. God, by his spirit, can turn those things around and make us the kind of people who become a contact for other people. But the good news, friends, is not just that God did this with Abraham. The good news is that God did this in the person of Jesus Christ for you and I. You see, Bible says that God, Abraham had no child at that particular point in time, but God made Abraham and he said, I will make you a father of many nations. And so he gave birth to a son, Isaac, who gave birth to two sons, twins, Jacob and Israel. Jacob gave birth to 12 sons. 
who became the people of Israel eventually. And it seemed like, oh, well, yes, God's plan has now been fulfilled. But actually, that plan was sabotaged because the people of Israel eventually didn't follow God. And God scattered them throughout the earth. Again, like Babel, building their own plan and their own project. And God scattered them throughout the face of the whole earth. And it seemed like, oh, God, this plan that you have in store, this thing has failed. But actually, that plan doesn't fail. Because there comes a true son of Abraham who, in the person of Jesus Christ, follows God fully, faithfully, who accomplishes all the things that God has designed and determined, who goes to the cross and dies. But he doesn't just die and as the only son of Abraham. He dies for you and I so that we can become the sons and the children of Abraham, so that we can be people who now have God and can people who go into all the earth carrying the blessing that God has determined. So do you have a broken dream today? Do you have a plan that seems like it has failed or is failing or may eventually fail? We serve a God who turns things around. But you may say, oh, well, Emmanuel, okay. Thank you that God can cause our dreams to be reborn. But how do I know that God will cause this dream to come to pass? And I'll say, actually, the story isn't over. Because you see, if Abraham's story is where it all ends, there's only one thing that was saved through Abraham. God saved the project. God saved this thing that they were trying to build, making a name for themselves. That was the only thing God caused to actually continue. But the resource was no longer there. There was no longer unity. That disunity that was symbolized in the languages that the different people had, that thing, it seemed like as you read the Bible, it, it wasn't sorted out. There are still different divisions. There are still different things that limit us as, as, as it seems. But actually, when Jesus ascends to heaven, there are a group of people who are gathered somewhere, praying, asking for God, asking for the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, we are told that the Holy Spirit comes and falls upon them. And what happens? They begin to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enables them. In other words, what we saw at Babel, that was a symbol of judgment. What we saw at Babel, that was a symbol that your dreams may never come to pass. What we saw at Babel, that was a symbol of God saying, that is wrong. Now we see at Pentecost, as God saying, now I am here. Now I have poured out my Holy Spirit. And now through you, are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can go out and accomplish all the things that are called you to accomplish. And so we read on in verse 11, it says that these people, everyone around them, he calls out the names of different nations and languages that were around that Babylon, and each one, these people hear these people speaking in tongues, speaking in other languages, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. In other words, because of the Holy Spirit, we are now empowered to be people who can go out and accomplish all the dreams that God has put on our hearts. So if you speak in tongues, the, the purpose of speaking in tongues is not just so much for you to wow yourself or wow the people around you. It is to say that the, there's a deposit of God's grace and power upon your life to accomplish all the things that God has called you to accomplish. Maybe you're not convinced yet. Well, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul writing about the blessing, this blessing that God gave Abraham. And he's saying that this blessing is not just for Abraham, it is for all of us who are children of God. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. And then he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Guess what? You and I, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The Spirit of God, friends, is our great resource that we need to accomplish all the things that God has called us to. The Spirit of God is that great resource that enables us to dream the dreams that God has put on our hearts and to be made for all that God has called us to be made for. So I like the way someone called William Carey says it. He says, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. 
Expect great things from God because he has given you his spirit because the whole of heaven is at your disposal to go and serve God and to become all that God has accomplished you for. That doesn't mean you cannot settle. That means actually that you cannot become all that God has called you to become. Expect great things for God. Attempt great things for God. And so you and I now can pray the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 90 verse 17 with all boldness with all power he says may the favor of the lord our god rest on us establish the work of our hands for us yes establish the work of our hands now we don't just walk around aimlessly just looking at the things around us looking at the connections that we have looking at the contact on our phone looking at the bank balance that we have no 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 we have much more than all of that we have the favor of the lord our god resting upon us we have the presence of the lord our god resting upon us he says if he has given us his holy spirit how will he not with him give us all things how will he not give us all things? Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast, and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City Church Lagos. City Church. Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.